The Bible alone gives a clear and concise picture of what God wants done and how he wants it accomplished. The Bible alone, sola scriptura, we would say as we're studying uh, theology, as we're studying what the Bible says, the Bible alone, God's word alone is our guide to tell us the matters of what we should do and how we should behave and how I should orient my life and the things that I should not do. So God in his inspired, holy, perfect word alone gives a clear and complete picture of what God wants done. Friends, that's our mission. What God wants done, that's our mission in this life as the church and your life and everything of what God wants done and how God wants that done, and that's his methods. We want to take the mission that Jesus has given us and take the methods by which God has ordained for us to accomplish his will, not my will, not your will, not her will, but God's will to get it done. Our mission as the church is to make disciples who make disciples who can make disciples. It just sounds like some crazy Ponzi pyramid scheme and you're trying to make money and you're going to ignore people's calls when they call you because you don't want to buy their stuff. But that's not it at all. It's in fact what God has told us about disciples who can make mature disciples so that we can have somebody else that comes under our wings, someone that we're investing in, the next generation. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're younger than you. They could be older than you as a Christian. You could be investing in someone who far surpasses you in your age on this earth, but maybe you have surpassed them in some ways when it comes to your faith and how you understand the Bible and how you're going to live that out. What God wants for all of us to do is to become spiritual parents. So that when new people come to Christ, regardless of their years of age on this earth, that there is someone there to care for them, there is someone there to look out for them, there is someone there to protect them, to guide them, to encourage them, to help them see what God wants for them to accomplish by making a disciple who can make disciples who are really who can make disciple makers. Because Jesus told us very clearly that the church wins. Amen? The church wins, even if it seems like it doesn't or it won't or isn't in the moment, the church wins. The gates of the hell will not prevail against the church because the church is me and you. The church is everyone who has chosen to be faithful to Jesus and put their faith in Jesus and want to live out this life that God has told for us to live because what God has designed for you to do is to live life in relationship with him and in relationship with other people. My relationship with God works out best when I'm also living life in relationship with other people, with other believers who can encourage me, with other believers who I can confess to, with other believers who can hold me accountable, with other believers who can chew me out when I need to be chewed out in Christian love. We say that sometimes and we don't mean it in Christian love. We just do it because we're mean. But genuinely, I need those relationships. I need those people in my life. And so do you. That's why God designed us to live in relationship with one another. If we're outside of church and we, well, and we pretended like, or we used a different phrase. If I were to say, you know, who's your BFF? You know what that means? Anybody? Best friend forever, forever, right? We're all junior high girls now. We remember those abbreviations and what they mean, and we're going to be best friends forever. And that's where I remember hearing those names, right? Sorry, Ellen. Sorry. Sorry. Right. (laughs) But you hear that and you think about your best friend forever. But what I want to talk about for us as the church today and really in the weeks to come in October, it's our Faith Promise Month. We're going to emphasize our missions and the different places we support. We'll have a couple different people coming in and giving us some updates on the missions that we, say, that we do support, that we'll continue to support. And we kind of started that last week with Clint and his team here from Foundation. 
But I'm not talking about our best friend forever. I'm not going to tell you Jesus is your buddy and he's going to take care of you all the time. He will, but in a different way than we would think our friends do. But what we'll talk about in October is our BFF as the church, our biblical foundation for. Biblical foundation for, and today I'm going to talk about relationships. Our BFF, our biblical foundation for relationships. Really, as the church, that should be our foundation for anything. We want this biblical, godly, loving, founded idea for our relationships with other people. For what the church is and what the church is supposed to accomplish for how I'm supposed to lead my family, for how I'm supposed to invest in my friends, for how I'm supposed to behave at work, for a biblical foundation, for how I'm going to manage, how I'm going to steward the gifts that God has entrusted me with, both the skills that God has given me through the Holy Spirit as a believer. God has given everybody skills and gifts from the Holy Spirit to work for the kingdom. And also how I will steward the finances that I have. I want a biblical foundation for all of those things. So today, a biblical foundation for relationships. I'm going to look at three different passages. I'm going to look in Genesis 2 and Matthew 22 and Romans 12. Building upon this idea, and there's lots more that we could talk about. But the Bible alone gives us this clear and concise picture of what we're to do and how we're to accomplish. The mission that Jesus has given us and the method by which we can go about accomplishing it. If you want to follow along, Genesis chapter 2 in the very beginning of scripture, and really in the very beginning of time as we know it. Genesis 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 15. This is after God has, we have the accounts in Genesis 1 and 2 that they both say the same thing just in kind of different ways. They approach it from different aspects, but they tell us about creation and, and, and why God created it and some order to creation. And then on the seventh day, God rests And what happens here, after the creation of man and woman, and we have this description of the the garden that happens more in Genesis 2. But starting in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So if we're talking about biblical foundations for how we're to do and what we're to do in life, God created us to work. He created us to do stuff, folks. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this, is the la- this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. This picture of God finishing his creation... Where God creates everything, he creates land, he creates light, he creates the sea, he creates animals, and he creates people. 
and he puts Adam in the garden, and he tells him that he's to work in the garden. And that's what he is to do, and he entrusts Adam to name all of the animals. But then what it says, it was not good that man should be alone. Now, if I hold on there for a minute, I mean, Adam wasn't exactly alone. There were animals that God had created there to be around there with him. In fact, what Scripture tells us, and we'll, we'll read this, you can read a little bit more after Eve is created, that Adam and Eve were in the practice of walking in the Garden of Eden with God. They didn't have to work at relationship with God. It just came naturally because that's what God wanted. That was always God's intent. Yet God is with Adam as he's dwelling in the garden. Yet God says to Adam, it's not good for him to be alone. Well, he was with God. He wasn't alone. But it, it goes on to say that there wasn't a suitable helper that was found for him. Another key for us, our biblical foundation for relationship, is that God created us to live life in relationship with other people. He did. Because he looked at Adam and he said, it's not quite how I want it to be. Because we all know that in this life, we need help. And we need helpers. Now this also, hear me clearly as I say this, this is not an edict from God that everybody has to become married. And that there's a problem with singleness. In fact, scripture says some very good things about people who are single and how they can devote more time to God and to the kingdom because they don't have other responsibilities. So this isn't a mandate of you're less of a Christian or believer or person because you don't have a helper or a spouse. For whatever reason, that, that's not it. But what God did when he looked at Adam is he said it's, it's not good for him to be alone. He needs a companion. He needs a helper. He needs other people with him in life to encourage him, to be there with him, to help him. And unfortunately, as we all know, the company that we keep can get us in trouble. Or it's like the joke that somebody handed me this week. It said as, as Adam was describing to his kids uh, why they didn't live in the garden anymore, he said, well, your mother ate us out of house and home. No, but our company can impact us, all right? She could say the same thing on Adam. Um, in fact, Scripture has some stronger things to say to Adam um, when it comes to the decision they made together to not honor what God told them to do. But as we look, and it's not just here in Genesis, but I wanted to start there because it's from the fabric of what God teaches us in his word that we're designed to live in relationship with one another, not isolated, not alone. Not feeling like I can't confide in somebody else. I have nobody that cares for me. I have nobody that loves me like God loves me. I have nobody that I can trust with my struggles. And that breaks God's heart anytime anybody says that, especially people who belong to the church like you and like me. Because God wants us to be connected with other people. Because we're created to live in relationship with God. We call that our vertical relationship and a relationship with others, the horizontal relationship. And it's when both of those are working together that I find my relationship with God is best. But if I neglect one, the other things suffer. If I neglect my relationship with God, the relationships and the influence that I have on my wife and my kids and my friends and the people that I'm around that know I'm a Christian, suffer. Because I'm not listening to God. I'm not obeying and doing what God has called and asked for me to do the key is relationship everything that we do in this life we've got a view through that lens of relationship because that's what jesus did in fact 
when we talk about investing in the lives of other people and helping them to grow in their faith, people who maybe they're spiritually dead and they aren't believers yet, but through you and through the community of faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're going to hear Jesus explained and it's going to, they're going to get it. And they're going to become infants in Christ and they're going to need a place where they can be nurtured and cared for. Where they're going to need a place where they can learn how to read God's word and to go out and to apply it. They're going to need to be in a place where they can be encouraged where they can be protected, and also where they can be challenged to grow in their faith. Because we need relationships with other people. Because God designed us to live life that way. In fact, if you think on what you may know, or maybe you don't feel like you don't know sometimes about the life of Jesus, is that what he chose to do is that he invested in his 12 disciples. And even among that group of 12, he invested even more in Peter, James, and John. He spent the most time with them. Maybe it's because they needed it. Or maybe it's because God, well, they certainly did need it. But maybe it's because of that extra investment that we can read about all these phenomenal, life-changing, eternal consequence things that they did for the kingdom. That how many people came to know, have a saving forever relationship with God the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. Because Jesus chose to invest in the 12 and to invest in the three even more. If that's how Jesus went about making disciples and he gave them the gospel, the good news, and he told them to go and to teach everybody to obey and to learn everything that I've commanded you, and how they went about doing that, well, they did it the same way that Jesus did. They spent time with other people. They were intentional about where they were going to go and where they're going to spend their days and how they were going to teach and who they were going to invest in. And Jesus even goes so far as to tell them, go tell people about God, and if they're not listening, go to somebody else who will. Now, the hard part for you and me is drawing that line and when we're going to dust off our feet and to go to somebody else. But Jesus started the church with his 12. And even among that, Judas is the one that, who betrayed Jesus. And Jesus knew that all along, but he still chose to invest in him and to include him as the 12. What that leads me to believe is that the people that you're going to choose to invest in as Christians are going to let you down. They're going to hurt you. They might completely destroy the relationship that you had with them. They might stab you in the back the first second that you turn around and disparage you to everybody that you know and trust. And your heart's going to be shattered just like Jesus's was. But God still calls us to live life in relationship with broken, fallen people. And to share with them the truth of Scripture. I want to read a passage from Matthew chapter 22. If you want to follow along, a big Bible will probably come up here behind me. Matthew 22, um, verse 36 or so is where I'm going to start. This is in the context of Jesus' life, where that last week of his life, he's made the triumphal entry, headed back to Jerusalem, where he knew he had to go to die. And that's where Jesus delivers his message in Matthew chapter 22, the great commandment. I'm gonna, verse 36 is going to pop up up there. I'm going to start in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
So Jesus summarized all of what we would call the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, by saying, love God first and love your neighbor as yourself. He even goes to say, and Scripture tells us, that they will know that we are Christians by the love that we have and that we show for one another, not a love that we have hidden way deep down in our hearts and we say something about it if nobody's paying attention. But how we live and how we respond and how we treat other people, people will know that we are believers in Jesus by the love that we have for one another. Are we willing to invest our time are we willing to invest our relationships? Are we willing to invest our family and another family so we can help them see Jesus in a better light? Are we willing to do that? Because that's what Jesus did with his disciples. In fact, as I think about it, as Jesus came and, and he called us 12, and he used them to start the church. And we read about that after Jesus goes back up into heaven. And the apostles had to wait for the Holy Spirit to come down on the day of Pentecost. And you read about that in Acts chapter 2. But that's when the church was started. So Jesus was investing in his disciples and causing them to grow in a relationship with him and a relationship with God, even as he was getting them ready to start the church. So some of the closest things that we can do to doing exactly what Jesus did, not just telling people about the Messiah, the anointed one, the name that God gave him. His mission. But using the methods that Jesus used by investing in the lives of other people, by letting people know that we care about them so that we might have the relational collateral with them that when you have to say hard things, that they're going to listen and that they're going to know that you love them and you care for them as God has called and commanded us to. Love God with everything that we have and love others. This is how we're called to live. One other passage from Romans chapter 12. Um, it was easy just to pick a couple passages to talk about relationship or biblical foundation for that, and we could be here forever um, talking about the implications and reading things. So picking three was uh, pretty easy. Romans chapter 12. Uh, starting in verse 9, this is the part where Paul tells us to Offer our lives as living sacrifices. That's how Romans 12 starts out. Don't be transformed by the world. Don't be conformed to the world around us, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And yet we have these marks of a Christian, what a Christian life should look like. And Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 reads this way. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. A lot of times, Jesus' teaching is pretty straightforward, relatively easy to understand, but really, really hard to live. And that's why Jesus would never want us to try to accomplish these things on our own. And that's why God, in his wisdom, sent us his son, but he also sent us the spirit. That's why we believe in the Holy Spirit. That's why we believe that God is the Father and Son and Spirit, and he manifests himself to us in those ways. And Scripture tells us that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus and believes in him and is baptized gets the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I have the power of God living inside me as a Christian, and that's why I can live out these seemingly simple yet extremely difficult to live out teachings of Jesus because it's not me. It's the power of God at work in me and in us as the Spirit. God has designed us to live in relationship with one another so that we can make a disciple, someone who loves God and others, bears fruit, and equips others for service. Somebody who keeps these greatest commandments, somebody who has that evidence of it in their life, and somebody who trains the next generation, the upcoming generation, the current generation of the church, so that they recognize that they have gifts and abilities that God has gifted them with that they do have a role to play, they do have something that God has called for them to do in the church. That's what God wants us to do. And God knew that through the power of his spirit, his people were going to do that. That you and I were going to take what Jesus said seriously and go out and live it. And that's why he could say, the enemy is not going to prevail against the church because I've given her everything she needs to succeed. And there are going to be challenges and struggles along the way. And Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. I've overcome the world. And friends, if we want to see this explosion in our faith, how we can grow by leaps and bounds in our maturity and in our obedience, if we want to see an explosion in new people that are coming to church, we've got to live life as Jesus called his disciples to live life, in relationship with one another. And that's why we're never going to stop talking about our life groups, ever. Because Jesus message and Jesus methods are both divine and we need to go about making disciples how Jesus told us and how Jesus modeled for us to do that and we do that best in relationship with one another we do that best in a smaller numbered group so that we can hold one another accountable we can pray for one another that we can see the pain in somebody else's eyes when we know them well and we can just step in and help or just step in and be there when they need us so desperately So I invite you to stay and eat with us. The food's going to be good because it's from Longhorn. I've never had anything bad from Longhorn. They might make some mistakes, but that's only when Tabitha's not there, right? Stay and eat with us if you can. We'd love to have you here. For me, a moderate amount more. I said little earlier. I really do mean little. And here for some people who are in our groups as well about how we are growing in our faith. We're modeling what we do after what Jesus told us to do. Because God gave us a clear and concise plan for what we're to do. And it's when we do that, it's not about addition, it's about multiplication. It's about the explosive growth that the church should have. Because it's not about numbers, but it's about people. And it's about people who are going to hell without Jesus. Because we all would without him. Our biblical foundation 
in Scripture, Scripture alone, knowing what that means and then knowing how I'm supposed to live life in community on mission, in relationship with other like-minded believers to help pick me up when I fall and help push me along the way when I need it. Every single one of us needs that so badly. Let me pray for us. God, your name is so beautiful, and nothing compares. It truly is the sweetest name that we can know. That's why we sing about it, God, and that's why it is so powerful. And that's why you called and commanded us as the church to give sacrificially of our lives. In fact, Jesus tells us if we don't pick up our cross and follow after you daily, we can't be your disciple. God, so much in this world is clamoring at us to get in the way. God, may we drown that out. May we be able to turn that volume down or hit mute on it. When we focus on you, God, the troubles of this world can just melt away. It doesn't mean that they're gone. But, Father, our hope is in you. Our strength is in you. And, God, we, are no, we, are, we can't represent Jesus any better than, we're live, than when we're living life out together as the church on mission to help people grow to have people who are spiritually dead become infants in Christ and just to be so excited to watch them grow. And God, for those of us who have been in the church for a long time, God, how you never give up. You're always there for us to encourage us along the way. God, we are so grateful for your word. Have you given that to us? And we can understand it. We don't have to have somebody else explain it to us. That helps sometimes, certainly. But God, we can pick up your word and read it and be changed because we encounter you and your living, active word. God, thank you for the Bible. And thank you for how it tells us, models for us, not just what we're to do, but how we're to go about doing it. God, may we be obedient in this endeavor. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.